have um, a team that goes there from Reynosa, which is a church that we participated in planting a number of years ago. And so I wanted you to see a picture of this that we have. Uh, this is the celebration they just had with, um, with Vina Puebla. And so this, our, our team was there from Reynosa. And so it's an exciting time down there, and they are very excited about what God is doing, and they are wanting us to be back down there as soon as possible. Uh, I cannot. <clears throat> but thank you for asking. Yes. Uh, yeah, the one in the dark blue shirt. Uh, so... Uh, anyway, be praying for these folks. They're excited. Uh, they are full of purpose and full of power. We are, uh, these people are also visiting some of our other vineyards in Mexico as well. So <clears throat> thank you, Father. Uh, we've been working through the book, Surprise the World, and, and it has an acronym in this book, BELLS, and the B is for... Bless people. The uh, L is for, I'm sorry, the E is for eat. Eat with people. Make that a part of your life. The first L is for listen. The second L is for learn. And we're beginning to move on that L as we speak. The whole idea of this is can we live a life and can we allow some things we do to change our habits so that we live questionable lives, lives that make people curious enough to ask, what makes us go forward? How do we operate? Uh, I would like to invite uh, Christina to come share a story she just sh shared with me. Uh, because the idea, what the Lord does, if the Lord is always working in our lives, then the truth is there's always opportunity. The question is, are we seeing that opportunity and are we acting on that opportunity with the Lord? So I wanted... Uh, Christina to share just where tragedy set an opportunity. Um, this past Thursday, I mean, I don't know if y'all seen the news or read the paper about the 13-year-old boy that got shot in Freeport. Um, a friend of mine went to the memorial at the park, and she called me to see if I would mind going over there and praying over these kids. And as y'all know, I'm not big on talking to a lot of people. So I had a couple of friends and Michael came with me and um, there was already a pastor there and we're talking to, there's just a group of people there. And he was explaining that, you know, Juan is, you know, with Jesus. He was explaining because all these kids were asking why um, that this tragic accident happened. And so um, he said that if, he want, if they wanted to see one again, that they would, you know, that they need to get close to God. And if they didn't know God, that for them to step forward and to say a salvation prayer. And 46 people prayed that prayer. And even in this basic, this tragic event, God shows his love. And when I was, you know, listening to the, the last song, you know, God is good. And I had to, even though I don't like getting up here, and I knew slight chance Phil was going to make me get up here. <laughs> um, I had to say it. I had to share it. 
I mean, because 46 people. I mean, and it was not this little silent prayer. It was, they said it with heart. And he told them, you have to show, you have to to really, you know, bless yourself and, and, and open up your heart and actually mean it. Because saying the prayer is not going to do it. You have to mean it. You have to. And they did it. These little kids from, you know, 10 years old to adults went up there. So, I mean, I just wanted to show. Thank you. <clears throat> the world has a lot of questions. I just don't know that they're asking us. And when they do ask us, are we ready with an answer? When we talk about learning, and as I was reflecting on this L for learning, <clears throat> I have a... Um, I'm challenged a little bit on the inside because I really don't believe that many people read the Bible. I, I know some do, but I don't think very many people do. And I don't think being a Christian a long time makes people read the Bible more. It might make people read the Bible less. And our learning about Jesus... Uh, often comes with how much we're listening and a message. Uh, are we watching something on Discovery Channel about Jesus and then we don't know whether it was true or not? <clears throat> you see, being a student of Jesus is, is not uh, something that I think the church embraces. I think it's hard for the church. And so we wind up being people who know Bible stories does anybody in here know a Bible story? Anybody? Shout one out. Noah in the ark. Jonah and the whale. Speaks to 5,000. What was that? Joseph. Lazarus. John the Baptist dies. Daniel in the lion's den. Boy, it took Daniel a long time to make the list. I'm a little bit surprised. You see, we, we go through children's church, and we learn Bible stories. And, and then as we become older and we move into the New Testament, and then we move into now we're looking at promises and character and do's and don'ts. And so I've got this list here. Uh, go ahead. <clears throat> and the next slide says... And then the next slide says, so our, our quest when at learning, is it really about what we know? We begin to know stories. We, we can talk about those stories. Uh, <clears throat> if you're somebody, especially who's come from, you know, a troubled past, a compromised past, you might really have weighed in on the promises. You've got a book of Bible promises and, and you regurgitate them every time you're in trouble and these kinds of things. We learn rules. And, and then we begin to see examples of those rules. <clears throat> and I think it's the seasoned veteran that gets to this place. We now know stories, we know promises, we know rules, and we have examples of them. And you know, Here's the way I see it. <clears throat> it makes it where we can play. We can come to the Christian table 
and we can cavort with the other people at the Christian table. We'll have a view on the kingdom. We'll have a view on once saved, always saved. We've got a few ideas, a few views. But I'm going to give you a play on words. You're going to like this. You see, that level of knowledge allows us to play even if we don't play. Even if we're not really a player. It allows us to play. See how it's a play on words? Do you like that? But we're not really able to play. Because playing is something different than knowledge. Operating in what the scripture talks about is a whole different level than knowledge. And by and large, that is all about knowledge. Why do we learn? I find one of the reasons that we learn is obligation. I'm a Christian. I said a prayer. It's the right thing to do and study, and it'll make my better, myself a better person. How many people think that studying the Scripture will make you a better person? Sure, it's got a shot at it. I'm not saying it will absolutely make you better, but it adds good stuff to the equation. For those of us who are on a quest for self-help, obligation helps us get there. But obligation is not really a long-term piece of relationship. When I ask my wife when she comes home, hey, how was your day? Or when I walk in, how was your day? It is not because I feel obligated to ask her that question. Nor do I feel obligated to listen. You see, my real motivation is I want to know how her day was. I want to know how she is doing. It's not even to ask her about her day so she will ask me about my day. It is because I want to know how she's doing. And it's not about the words she says and the knowledge of what happened. It is about the sum collection of that and how that is affecting her, what her life is like on the inside for her right now. I'm really interested in that. You see, she might have a really hard day at work. This went wrong, this went wrong, this went wrong. And she's really excited because in that, she returns to joy every time. And she's coming home really celebrating a really terrible day and how it worked out in Jesus. And that's a, that's a reason to celebrate that goes beyond the facts of that day, doesn't it? Or she could have had an easy day, but she was not fed in that day. and She was not met with joy, and she's struggling in that moment. Obligation is where many of us, when we go forward, it's out of obligation. It's when the pastor gives some challenge, read this every week, every month, for six months, and we do it. The other one is need. We study because I need to change. I need help with my life and my circumstances. I have needs. I think the church very quickly, when somebody says, you have a need, you know, you need to start praying more. You need to start getting in the word. You need to start 
Uh, doing these things, and that will change your circumstances. That isn't always true. It's not always true that reading and praying will change my circumstances. <clears throat> Are they things to go to in need? Yes. Is the Bible full of things that can help us with need? Yes. But I want to pull us back to our title. This is about learning about Jesus not about reading. It's about really learning who the person of Jesus is. In John 6, 26 through 29, Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're looking for me. You're following me to get a need met. It's about the need. It's not about me. Put another way, and you might think, well, we all have a need. Sin makes us needy, and we need Jesus. That's a true statement. But you see, this means if somebody else satisfies their hunger, they will follow them too. It's not about Jesus. It's about the need. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures for eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So they ask him the key question. It provokes the right question. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Look at God's, look at Jesus' answer. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It wasn't about doing, was it? It wasn't about need. It was about something much deeper and much greater operating in our soul. You see, to learn about Jesus goes beyond knowledge. It goes beyond the book of promises. It goes beyond, you know, a prayer type. It goes beyond those things, and it begins to look at the person of Jesus. It begins to operate at a very different level. You see, when I'm reading the scripture out of obligation, when I'm reading it just for my need, then I'm looking at a very focused part of it, and you will never see Jesus when you focus on your need. <clears throat> out of our book, it gives two primary reasons, which I like, uh, for learning about Jesus. One, it says to grow closer in that intimacy, to foster hearing the prompting of the Spirit and sensing His presence. Learning about Him is about those connections. It's about those connections. Learning about Him begins to fill in those, the, the, the pieces that make it all connect together. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, I like chick flicks. So uh, the show Sleepless in Seattle, if you haven't seen it, I don't know where you've been. But anyway, so he's on this radio program talking because his son got him into it. And the lady said, so what did you like about your wife who's now deceased? His question was, how long is your program? 
And then he said, it was a million things. I started doing something. Uh, I think Melinda didn't quite know what to do with it at first, but she would do something that I liked, and I would say, that's why I married you. She'd go, hmm? But then she would do something else, and I'd say, that's why I married you. And then she would do something else. That's why I married you. And she began to realize, I think, that the number of reasons is endless that I married her. I'm just reminded of it all the time. And that's the reason. And that's the reason. And that's the reason. You see, that's the learning and the knowing that begins to become something different. And it begins to connect into the very fabric of who you are, way beyond knowledge. <clears throat> the second reason is we need to know him if we're going to share him as the reason for the hope we have. It's really difficult, and I think for many Christians who don't really have this depth of relationship, it's difficult for us to talk about Jesus in a way where we represent this depth of relationship, this depth of conviction, where we can talk with confidence about Jesus. You see, the church exists for that reason, to draw people into being like Jesus. That's why the church exists. There's not another reason the church exists. It exists to propagate a truth that you and I have discovered. In the, in the New Testament, it calls it the pearl of great price. It calls it the jewel. It calls it the, the most incredible treasure. It calls it these things trying to describe that when you find it, everything else is expensed for this thing. Do people know that you see Jesus that way? Do people know that you have expensed everything for this relationship? Do people know how this relationship identifies and defines you? Do people see, whether they believe it or not, that you experience in your own mind an amazing pearl of great price? Are we someone that we operate in a little bit of guilt and we operate in a little bit of conviction and we pray when we're in trouble and we feel a little bit guilty about that and we read sometimes, but we feel guilty about the fact that we don't read as much as we should and we know that we don't have a great testimony, but we try. That's what a lot of the church looks like. They know enough to be, to play, to come to the table and share the right words. But to step away from that table into the bigger table and to take command as someone who personally walks with Jesus, we're afraid at that point. You see, God became man for no other reason but to reconnect man with God. 
Jesus came for that reason and that reason only. Jesus came to connect humanity with God again. That's why he came. That's the role we step into. And you see, in order to communicate what that is in your soul, it has to be something that we know in our knower. I'm going to give you a fancy word. Some of you will know it. Some of you won't. And if you leave here without it, I don't care. <laughs> to be incarnational. Incarnational is talking about incarnate. You'll see the word different ways. And it's really just a word that describes how Jesus became something else. He became human in order to walk and to live among humans to be the sacrificial lamb, to be the answer for humanity. All right? Isn't that you and me now? You see, we walk among humanity, but we are incarnational in that we have become someone different. We are someone different, yet we are walking. The Scripture calls it, we are now strangers and aliens in this world. Why does it say that? Because you're incarnational. Because you have become like Christ, Christ-like. Because you have learned of something greater. You have, you have the pearl of great price. That makes you a stranger and alien in this world. Yet Jesus has you walking here and blessing who you are and where you are for the purpose that the church was here, for the purpose that Jesus came. That's how much your life is full of purpose. I, I did not want to get up here and tell you, you need to read the Bible more to learn more about Jesus. I, I wasn't going to do it. I don't think you'll do it. I don't think you will. I mean, one might, two might, but this is different than that. To see the opportunity to learn more and more about someone who is endless in who they are. This should not be about need and obligation. There's somewhere different inside our soul. Jesus called us to live incarnational lives. The call is to pattern our lives on the incarnation. To pattern our lives the way he did. How are we to do that? Unless we become avid students of his life, his work, and his teaching. When we make stepping into Jesus' shoes a part of our life, something that is exciting and important to us, I believe we will see change in our lives we never dreamed possible. We will think ways that we've never thought before. We will function at a different level if we really step into this identity. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened with learning and memorizing Scripture and feeling guilty, and I will give you rest from that. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me.
He doesn't say it as yet another burden, does he? He's trying to take that stuff off of you and I. You know, if you've been a believer a long time and you really don't look at the Scripture very much anymore, you know enough of the stories, you know, you know oh, that's not in there, and you know, you know the longest verse and the shortest verse, and you know, you know how many books are in the New Testament. Um, you know, you know some things. But the question is, have you learned much about Jesus? you learned about Jesus in a way that sets you free? Have you learned from him? You see, this, this is where we were really called to be incarnate. We're with him. I want to take us back to the Old Testament for an image of how this might look. In Ruth, if you don't know the story of Ruth, Ruth was a daughter-in-law. There was a woman named Naomi, and Naomi and her husband moved to Moab. That's just a country, not Israel. Uh, they had two sons. The two sons married. Uh, they married Moabites, women from Moab. And Ruth's, um, I mean, sorry, Naomi's husband died. And then over the next 10 years, uh, both of her sons died. And she was a widow, and both of her daughter-in-laws were widows. And she was going back to Israel because there was a lot of food and a, a real bounty in Israel. And she released her daughter-in-laws. Go, you know, I'm leaving. Stay here with your people. And one said, okay. But Ruth didn't. Here's what Ruth said. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You see, that's following. That's what following looks like. Jesus, where you go, I will go. Wherever your people are, that's my people. What you do, I will do. Where you die, I will die. Where you live, I will live. And not even death is going to separate us. You see, the incarnate people speak about Jesus. Their face lights up. They don't get afraid or guilty. But they light up. You know why? Because Jesus is their hero. I was talking uh, once in a talk uh, at the Houston Vineyard, and I brought up Freddie Mercury, uh, was the lead singer for the, the band Queen. And I said that he was considered one of the greatest uh, vocals 
wall time. And uh, after the talk, there was a young man who was a musician, a professional musician, and uh, uh, lots of different jobs in the music industry. And he walks up to me and he corrects me. He said, you were wrong. Freddie Mercury was the greatest vocalist of all time. Freddie Mercury, this. Freddie Mercury, that. Freddie Mercury, this guy knew Freddie Mercury. He knew all about Freddie Mercury. His face lit up because he knew Freddie Mercury. I liked it. I thought, if he learns Jesus like he knows Freddie Mercury, he will convince everybody who mentions Jesus. Jesus, you're wrong. He was the greatest in the world. And I can tell you this about him and this about him. Not as a teaching, not as lecturing, not as guilting, but you light up the way you light up when you're talking about your hero. You can't know enough about your heroes. You can't read enough about your heroes. You can't dream and fantasize enough about your heroes. Have you fantasized about walking with Jesus? Have you fantasized about how he would operate where you work or where you don't work or where you wished you worked? Have you engaged Jesus in your thought life in ways that excite you and sets you free? There's no obligation here. This isn't about need. This is heroic. This is stepping into a role with Jesus that says, I walk with him. I know him. He knows me. Amen. You see, that's the stuff that the dream is made of. I read the scripture not because I must, not because I feel guilty or ashamed, but because there's things in there that talk about my hero. And yeah, I can read the red and I can read the gospels. And when I do, it energizes me. Why? Because this man walks with me every day and I walk with him. And I, can't, I never get tired of experiencing story in my soul and in my mind. I never get tired when I'm weary, when I'm down, when I'm weak. Reading about Jesus, thinking about Jesus, letting him do with those stories in my soul what he wants to do with them. So that's not just knowledge. It's not just understanding. It's not just cards I can play at the table of Christianity, but it becomes the stuff that's operating in my soul. And there was a group of people asking why someone died. I will know Jesus will be with me and I will answer that question. And 46 young people will step to the front and say, I want to know him. And I can say, it'll be your finest day. It'll be your finest hour. Because Jesus is a hero. He is a hero. And he is your hero. And he will never get tired of walking you through it. He will never get tired of teaching you. He will never get tired of the excitement that you have in his name. 
You know, I, I think it might have been some of this. This morning during worship, man, I was nuts. I just, I, I couldn't get enough. I was like, Jeff, let's start over at the beginning. Let's go again. You see, he is my hero. Now, I don't get tired of singing about my hero. I don't get tired of thinking about him. He is not a burden to me. And when he says things in the scripture that aren't where I'm lined up, he's calling me into a lineup, not out of guilt or obligation, but he's calling me into it as the invitation. He says, Bill, you're not there yet. Step where I am. My yoke is light. He's not calling me with obligation here. He's saying it's easier here. You're going to find it's better here. I want to learn more about him. And I'll bet you there is many things or more things to learn about him as there is my wife. And I haven't even begun on that front. But I'm loving the journey. Is Jesus a topic you're comfortable with in a mixed crowd? Do you become unsure? Does your failings rise up in your mind instead of his heroic nature? Do you realize that you and I become heroic in his shoes? That we stand in places that God stands. We become heroic because of him. He invites us in to the incarnation. I am heroic because of him. You become heroic because of him. Can you and do you speak about him as a hero? Yesterday we went to, Melinda and I went to a benefit for uh, the young girl I spoke about who passed away, uh, I guess a couple of months ago, one month ago, um, Alicia Valderez. And um, I don't know how many people came to this benefit, but over the day it had to be a thousand people, I don't know. You know, She's a hero to me. I can't get her out of my mind. I, I find myself wanting to know more about her. We have a picture of her at our house. And I look forward to the day when I will sit down and have a long conversation with her. It'll be in heaven, but it'll be just as powerful, just as important. You see, she is a hero to me. And she is one I would follow. And she chose to be heroic in Jesus' shoes. And because of that, many people follow. That's the opportunity we have. Learn 
about your hero. If you would stand.